We're rolling. Are you gonna sing first? No, no, no. I, I told you you should start. Yeah. You know, sunshine when she's gone. And warm when she's away. You know, sunshine when she's gone. And she's always gone too long. Anytime. Anytime she goes away. It's, yeah, a, nice. it's, a, it's a sleepy song. Yeah, yeah, I like the song though. Oh, okay. It's not just a sleepy song. It's, it's kind of like a really sad song. It's basic. It's kind of depressing. Basic, but still good though. And so. Anyways, that was uh, Bill Withers. Ain't no sunshine, you know? That was Bill Withers. Ain't no sunshine. Anyways. That, that used to be on my grandpa's fucking cassette tape. And he didn't know who it was, but he liked it. Something like that. <laughs> good, good. <coughs> I'm sorry. Good AMPM, mga mom, sir. Listening to the Sturkus Occurred podcast. The podcast where shit happens. I'm your ho I'm 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 your host Kobe coming at you sick but not dead from Japan sick in the sick in the head sick in the mind sick in the body but very much still alive don't worry and my name is Barroslin the other host sometimes inconsistent <laughs> But I'm here coming at you from Tap Avenue, Manila, in the Philippines. How is um, it? Wait, under a, a production right now, which is. Yeah, you had, a, you, so had a, my time. you had a meeting that lasted like till 12. Holy fuck, dude. Yeah, dude. Like, Start earlier, man. Um, what the fuck? Our production head is like. Really asking us to stay for like a lot of notes. And, uh, Dude, I swear to God, like you guys uh, are just college. You guys are just college, and you're getting worked harder than like most professional theatrical productions. Yeah, here's the thing, though. This one's more stressful because we're co collaborating with like a another org. Which one? What org is? It's called uh, Malate. <laughs> <laughs> No, go on, go on, sorry. You, you just, you just, you just, you just, um, you triggered that repressed memory in my head that hurt a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do not like that guy, I'll be honest. Yeah, he kind of has a big head, doesn't he? Oh, huge fucking head. Anyway, go on. So yeah, it's been a very, very, very stressful week, man. Like, like I'm tired and I'm angry and pissed. Yes. You just wanna what? I just wanna sleep. There's there's but, there are seven billion people in the world, Bobby, and six billion of those seven billion are fast fucking asleep, and the other half of the seven billion are about to go to sleep. Don't don't. You know, the, the world isn't changed by sleepers. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But yeah, like, 
the, the after this part, I'm gonna take a break, like a really long break, spanning one third of a break, and during that break, um, they're gonna have a new production. Uh, this next production, I'm gonna hype it up as early as now because it's it's the it's a prod that is either going to make or break Harlequin because it's a very big project really? that has been planned for said, five years. You say that about all your prods, though. No, I don't say that. This one's like the one that either makes or break it. The other projects mentioned. So if, right? the, this if, one, if this goes bad, it's all over for you. Yeah. If this goes bad, we will stay uh, unknown. We'll stay forgotten. We'll stay as nothing. But if we pull this part off, man, I don't know, man. You don't know. We'll be like really famous. Because the people who are working with us will be professional actors. And uh, it's a rap musical. Wow. Oh, that's never been done before. Wow. Yeah, Philippine rap musical, which also I'm that's, add, Yeah, that's wow. never been done, that before. Has been done before. No, that I've yeah. never I've never heard of it in my life. Such an interesting and engaging concept. Wow. Really? Yes. <laughs> just hope I, I'm just hoping that this part would go well, but you know what they said? I'm passing this one, dudes. Like everyone is like auditioning and shit, and then I'm like, oh, "Goods, yeah." I'm happy. Oh, I'm happy where I am right now. What do you mean that the the HDG is unknown? Like, aren't you guys like the only theater guild, so to speak, in in, in La Salle? Yes. So like, why why would you be unknown if like by default you're the only one? Here's the, here's the thing, like comparing comparing us to like the theater orgs in Ateneo, they're more known than us. I don't know any of you guys. I. That's true, but I'm joking. Uh, I, I, I'm the market shit that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Like um, like generally, if you're like a gen, uh, theater fan in the Philippines, you'd know more prods from. Neo than from us, so you know we're not that famous. That that's not an issue though of like the quality of your prods. It's probably an issue of your marketing. Yeah, and hopefully this goes well because we're gonna use up our whole theater, which is like around five hundred plus people per show. So damn, mm -hmm. damn son, that's like. Uh, almost, almost quarter of a million. If you, if you if you do that shit, oh god, quarter of a million people. Not not quarter of a million people. Like like but like if we get a if we do like five short something, we get like a lot of money. Does that money go to you, or is that part of like LaSalle, your 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 guilt's like funds or whatever? Funds just go star funds. You don't get any any of that money. Yeah. Okay. We are a non-profit. That is lame, but okay. That is lame. Very lame, but you know, 
we live like that. I mean, you're students, so oh, yeah. Just a bunch of theater nerds getting together. Thespians, as my former friend used to say. Thespians? The theater, 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 theater geeks. Thespians. Thespians. That's, that sounds a little condescending, don't you think? It's very condescending. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't, I mean, the guy who said it, the guy who showed me that term, I think he's homeless right now, so whatever. He's a drop, he's a dropout, so it just goes to show you what kind of people are talking shit. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I, yeah. Spoiler alert, I think he dropped out because of me, but anyway, anyway. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What a dick, man. Why are you so mean? Such an ass. No, it's not like that. He was kind of a weak character, and then I got into some shit with him, and he couldn't take it, so he left. It's not. It's not like I was going to fucking like stab him, and he was just scared for his life. He had. He had. He had. He had PR problems with a lot of people, and that included me. Uh, all right. And, sure. And anyway, so. That was your week? Just rehearsing shit? Yeah, and like, honestly, dude, I'm really pissed. Cause there What's were, up? There are, like, there are announcements already, and like, I already coordinated with my team. And then after that, they're just gonna message us, like, oh, we just changed the schedule. This is you guys now. This is what you're gonna are, do. Aren't you, don't you have like really close friends on the board? Don't you have like a, a better network than you used to? I do have a really good network. So, like, Here's so, well, yeah. Here's the thing. Uh, uh, that's, like, we don't really do that. Like, we don't really become sip-sip or, like, we don't really ask them to help us out here. But you should. It's not about help. It's about accommodating you because there's unreasonable demands being thrown around, especially since, well... Because here's the thing also, this is an Asian thing. I noticed that this is really big in Japan, and all of my Western friends don't fucking get it. And you might deny that this thing exists in the Philippines, but I think it's there. The the whole senpai kohai structure. I don't know what you call it in English. So in, I, if, you, if you're a fucking weeb and you watch anime, uh, you know what senpai is, right? Basically, yeah. upper upperclassmen. Kohai is underclassmen. And in, in, in a traditional Asian society... Um, because the structure is confusion, this hierarchy is really important. And sometimes the importance is not emphasized, but it's like really subtly just thrown in there. So that idea that you should not question these people is them as a manifestation of this power structure actually having an effect. And even in Southridge, oh. don't didn't you get the idea that the the upperclassmen were a bit unapproachable? Yeah, very. And it's not it's not because they're assholes, no. It's because you just felt like you did not have the authority to just go up to them and be like, hey, right? Yeah, it's it, it's it, actually the most case for everyone. It's it's uh, it's really subtle. Yeah, the, mm. the, the people who could approach these upperclassmen like freely uh, without any sort of hesitation were usually the ones who had siblings in the upper class. But I noticed that this effect is sort of being like subtly forgotten, you know, with the Gen Z. This this sort of idea, you know, the new generation of kids. 
uh, do not do not hold do not latch on to this this idea as much as we did so the generational right. shift is happening so fast it's fucking insane the the fucking kids now did not have the same psychology that we did back in the day and it's fucking daunting it's scary to say the least the prognosis is like i don't know it's a lot to think about all right so how is your week Kobe? holy fuck where do i begin oh no haha <laughs> i actually don't know where to begin with this uh here's the thing i'm not busy but i'm very productive so you could say you're very stressed right now the stress i'm not stressed in the sense that i have deadlines i'm stressed because i'm thinking about the future and i'm oh. th also thinking about like how past events could have unfolded better uh, well, I'll, 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 uh, every day is different. I don't have routine, so you know. But so I'll, I'll just go over the major events that happened. So I was, I was invited to like to attend. I was invited to attend uh, an academic conference. Well, I wasn't really invited, but well. I was a second-hand invitation, to say to, to say the least, to attend uh, this academic conference in North Kyoto, in this place called uh, Rhine. So Rhine stands for it's spelled. What's it spelled? Rhine. R H. It's an acronym. Uh, wait. What's it? Wait. Ah, okay. So it's called the, the Research Institute for Humanity and Nature. Uh, it, it's a research institution in Northern Kyoto. They they specialize in. Uh, they specialize in research regarding uh, ecology, that sort of thing. Oh. Um right. and well. Uh, I was invited to attend a conference there uh, with a group of Filipinos. I was a plus one of a guy who was actually invited. And the, the, the theme of the conference was... Uh, what was the theme? Cute anime girls. If, if, if fucking only. No, the, 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 the theme was about... Uh, yeah it was it was about uh, sustainable development goals uh, in particular the idea of like responsible production and consumption what are the frameworks that we have what is the sociology behind it what are the what's the economics behind it how do these things play together how do they work this and that that and this <clears throat> and there was like a five hour long conference with different speakers uh What's sad is that this conference was anticipated to be one of their big ones, and nearly 70% of all the attendees didn't make it because of Corona. They were scared. Whoops, a doodle. So not so the only ones who were there were research fellows, uh, undergrads trying to squeeze out extra creds for their professors, and miscellaneous attendees. 
Uh, so not so the the I mean it was enough to f- it, there were about forty people but they were anticipating almost like a hundred something people and at the end at the end of the thing there was a disc- an open forum discussion and a Japanese uh, researcher came up and asked a really stupid question which actually made me get an aneurysm. Uh, he this this Japanese guy uh, said something about. Uh, what he was uh, an economist and he was um, griping about how uh, qualitative methodologies don't do anything for this for this sort of problem for this research question so why do we have to make investments in doing qualitative research in this field if they're not as effective if they, they, the, the the data takes longer you know like if you're a sociologist it's better to just take surveys and graphs rather than interview people right there's not a, like the research outputted by anthropologists and you know and so and so and so is not as effective as though those outputted by economists and etc etc i raised my hand to answer this guy's question and i wa- i wanted to put him in his fucking place i was like <laughs> so i i said this long ass response and it was and the, and what happened was well it was an awkward question to say the least and i kind of like doubled down on an answer that was there already and then my my boss came to me my the guy who invited me came to me and he said what the hell was that that was such a stupid answer i'm like what do you mean and he said your answer had no direction it's just going all over the place <laughs> and then i was like Really? That's what you thought? I'm sorry. And then, and then this guy is a PhD student. And then after after the conference, after the conference, his professor, the one who the one who invited him, went up to me, shook my head, and said, "That was a great question. <laughs> that was a great response. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad you learned a lot." <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> Wow. And it, it just goes to show because the way I responded, I introduced a topic that I thought they would understand. Because my, my background is primarily as a philosopher as a philosopher. So how do I pander to like sociologists, economists, ecologists using that idea, right? So I I, I talked about how there is an ideological dialectic being done where there is and there are there needs to be like a synthetical approach if you want to have holistic answers something like that mm-hmm. and not not and uh, you wouldn't expect an economist to know what a, what dialectic means so so of course the people where they were like huh what are you talking about <laughs> uh they they uh, got i got so mixed reviews but i i had a, i had a fun time and the, the whole thing but the, the 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 thing about conferences in academia are that and in many ways they're super toxic do you know and well, what i mean what i mean by that is because no one goes to a conference because they give a fuck about what the person is talking about this is nothing necessarily that's like a bonus the only reason the people go to academic conferences i've been to so many academic conferences Usually I sneak inside because no one invites me. Well, I get invited now, but back in the day I used to just walk inside and be awkward. But the reason why these academic conferences, you know, are so big is because it's they're they're like if you're an if you want to work in academia, 
these are the best networking opportunities you will ever have because you you do not go for the speakers you go for those listening to the speakers because you might you might find somebody who happens to be like the leading figurehead of your field of research and what if say for example this guy is looking for a sociologist on a project that he's working on yeah so it's common it's common practice to print out like business cards before you attend these so that you can hand them off to people who give a fuck right mm -hmm. so that's needs to give calling cards it's like kind of obsolete now no 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 not at all that shit is strong in japan yeah uh, and in fact, my boss told me to start making my own. So, uh, especially like the the really professional ones, they will actually take you up on those. They will they will they will contact you. They will they will look for you. So, especially if they see potential, because as an undergrad, I don't have anything going for me. I have no achievements to speak of. All I have is potential. So if they if they want to give that potential a chance, they will actually take you up on that offer. Okay. I, I make it a point to at least talk in the on the microphone once every time I attend a, a conference just so that I can make leave a good impression or an impression on people. Because the thing about these conferences is that you're uh, it, it's a fucking shark tank. Everyone in there has a PhD. They're serious. And you're you're a big fish. You're you're a small fish swimming in a tank of like fucking sharks. So, and it, it sometimes it, sometimes it's so daunting that even the PhD students get scared. They don't want to talk out of fear of embarrassment. But the thing is, I don't get embarrassed anymore. I stopped getting embarrassed a long time ago. <laughs> so <laughs> so I just talk. I, I I make it a point to talk every time I attend these fucking conferences. You know. I know. Um, one, <clears throat> one method I used to like cope with these fuckers. What fuckers? Hold on. What fuckers? Last who are you talking? Who are you talking Wait. about? Hold on, I think I lost my train of thought there. Holy shit! Whoa. Yeah, you were you were you you weren't listening to me, right? I think half of it registered, half of it wasn't. Oh, thank you for being supportive and being uh I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. Uh, it's just that, you know, the, the, the week really just killed me. You, you don't want to listen to me because this is something that, you, that, that you're going to want to learn, especially since you want to go into academic chemistry and research. Yeah. All right, so I'm all ears again. No, it's over. I finished. You have to listen. You have to listen. I don't know if you, I don't even know if you're gonna do that, but you know. Yeah, all but right. it's all it's all about networking because you know, you, you small talk's one thing, but like showing that you're worth a researcher's time is another thing. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, like for people who do uh like theses, like whenever they ask for time. They really need you for that time. Goddamn. Oh, not, like, not even those fuckers. Are you, you're talking about college seniors? No. College seniors are nothing. I and mean, these people are like doctors. Not even doctors. They're postdocs. They're fellows. They're, they're leading the fucking crusade. Okay, well. <clears throat> crusade. 
Well, he, well r- 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 it's called Rhine or Rin. Rin is Rhine is a big deal. Rin is a big deal in Kyoto because Kyoto is one of the epicenters of of ecological progress. Uh, because Kyoto is where a lot of the advancements in the field of like sustainable, the science of sustainability, that sort of thing, are are made. Right, like the Kyoto Protocol, yeah, for example. Yeah, you told me about that before. Yeah. So you know, and and the, the this Rin, this is not like a fucking room in school. This Rin building, this is like a fucking U, giant UFO in the mountains that is actually like a fucking institute of research for. It's huge. It's fucking huge. It's a real, it's a real fucking building. It's not a university. It's a fucking research institute. Everyone who works in this building has a doctorate. This, this is this is where this is where you're probably gonna want to work if you're like a chemist or something, right? A research institute Especially like, like that. Especially like a researching, researching yeah. chemist. Yeah. Because well. there's, there's also a distinction between like uh, industrial chemist and mm-hmm. researching chemist. But researching chemist is like hit or miss, while industrial is very steady but boring. Mm-hmm. I kind of get what you're getting at. These people, yeah, these people, these people are paid to out to to output output you know papers to make to make progress to make change. They're real. They're the real deal. And the, the, to be honest, I did not get any contacts. The whole thing was an experience, to state to say the least. And it was interesting meeting people, and it opened uh, a little bit of my perspective to you know. To how things work and shit like that. It was interesting, yeah, you... but well, that was one. That was one thing I did this week. So another thing I did this week, and the reason why I'm kind of like bummed out is, uh, my my band had a gig, and it didn't it didn't go too well. <laughs> oh, oh no! Why? What happened? Uh, we played in a pub, and yeah, the the reason, the reason why it didn't go well was because I the owner, uh, well, what happened? I told you about the one time the drummer and I plugged in and just did an improvised jam, right? Like out of nowhere. Okay. Do you remember that? Hmm. Not that. It was during that. Uh-huh. It, was, it, it was during Valentine's Day. I told you that. Oh shit! Oh, okay, okay. Now I remember that. Oh, alright. And uh, they they liked us so much that they offered us. They offered my band a gig. My rhythm guitarist slash vocalist has never been to the bar and has never performed there, and neither has the lead. So what what happened was uh, it was like sudden, mm. all all of a sudden. So. The gig was botched because um, the week of the gig, the the vocalist was on vacation, like in southern Japan, just dicking around. So we didn't rehearse with him. And when the actual gig day came, he needed to have a music stand in front of him where he read chords. And that's a <laughs> no-no. That's a big fucking no-no. That's amateur shit. That's a huge no-no if you're a rock band. No references on the stage. When you're on stage, that should be all presence. Yeah, our set list like, was our set list was about an hour long, and um, that's kind of long, like for a standard band. 
Yeah, we were we were serious. The the uh, it was ten songs and two jams, improvised jams. Uh, the 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 lead guitars, the drummer, and I we we were good, but the singer kind of killed the gig for us. The the owner said that the singer having chords there and just like making the vibe like just so inconsistent was so bad. Like he said that the singer could sing. But his stage presence was so fucking awful that you know he probably didn't, we we didn't get offered the gig. He said that he'll consider us because we have serious potential apparently. It's just that we need to get our shit together, practice more, that sort of thing. Okay, Julie, no I mean, this is this is a band thing. I don't know if that that this applies to theater, but when you're up there, it's it's all presence. You you need to be connected to the audience. You don't. You should not be connected to a sheet music reference. That's bad. You have to memorize that shit. Hmm. And you, you and you know performance psychology, right? You know you you ha- you have energy. You have energy in the stage, and th- you play. You, if you play with energy, the audience gives you back that energy. It's like uh. Yep. We uh, as a theater person. I know that if you the energy you give isn't enough, the audience won't give the same amount of energy. In fact, you should always expect the audience should have a lower energy than yours. So when you when you start performing, you really have to crack that shit up, dude. That's why when you have like uh, a three act play or like a play with like stars, three stars within the play, whoa, okay, so, whoa. like. Whoever's in the first play, they're the most crucial ones in the play. If if they mess up, the whole thing messes up. It's gonna ruin the whole movie. Yeah, I feel that. So, um, I mean, uh, a bunch of my friends showed up, uh, and they said for our first gig, cause like I out of. You know what's ironic is that our vocalist is actually the most experienced musician in that band. He brags about being involved in like serious bands like back where he's from, where they actually perform in live venues and things like that. No, he doesn't do that now. And then he's the one who fucked us over. The drummer has never played in a gig before and the guitarist has never played in a gig before. Oh, goodness me. It's their first gig, guys. And here's the thing, they're 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 they're, they're 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 really fucking good. The guitarist has ten years of experience. He has ten years songwriting experience. He's a he's a SoundCloud guitarist. He's never performed live, but he's been to music school. Wow. Comments. I comment. And the drummer has the drummer has never ever performed live, but he's completely self-taught. They're 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 green as fuck when it comes to like experience and they did they did really well both of them i'm really proud of both of them actually and but our vocalist fucked us over especially since he first he knew that we had a gig this week and he knew that this and he knew that if this gig went well the bar we played in would say that they would offer us a residency residency in like band terminology is when this bar likes you so much that they that they let you be regulars in the sense that they reserve slots for you to play and then they, you get perks like free food free drinks and sometimes they pay you to play you're like the in-house band almost 
and <laughs> this this bar was near school, so it was perfect. And uh, he said that if if our if the owner liked us on on the on like on that day where we performed, he would give us residency. And lo and behold, he didn't like us. He did not like us. So. Fine. Yeah. There are more. There are plenty more job offers. Okay. I mean, clearly, you don't really. You know, it's. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I don't intend being in a band to be a uh, like a serious thing. You know, where it, I make money off of it. It's a hobby first and foremost. But it still hurts, you know, because this opportunity was gold. And what's ironic is that this vocalist is... I'm on thin ice with this vocalist. He gets mad at me all the time. Because because I'm, I'm always late to our rehearsals. Because, like, I, I never show up on time. And also because I tend to, like, overplay a bit. I, I tend to be a little too adventurous with with like with like how i play in the sense that i like to do really crazy crazy fills yeah it does and he he would always get mad at me because like he would always all right go continue he would always get mad at me like he would like flip the fuck out and and like shout at me because i was having fun he was like super he was always trying to say that this bad thing is serious he's been waiting for so long to have this opportunity and then when the actual thing fucking comes he's all bark and no fucking bite and here's the thing i i can, I can be adventurous because i'm a better musician than him i know what i'm doing he can, all he does is play chords he he doesn't know how to jam. He can't improvise. And like if 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 and if he gets mad at me because his rhythm gets fucked up, learn to count, bitch. I'm not your fucking metronome. Goddamn. Like I know that that's I know that it, I know I know that it's selfish. Like for me as a bassist to like throw shade at somebody for have for because like I'm the one who's the lowdown. But like, so so what if I want to do like a descending arpeggio in in this one? If that screws you up, count by yourself, motherfucker. God damn. And this guy's this guy's the vocalist and he doesn't even remember like the lyrics to the songs he played. He has to like he he messed up the cues like really badly. I know for a fact that he does not listen to the show, so I can throw as much shit as I want. Alright, go ahead. But yeah, this guy man. If he if he if he if he, if he listens and he hears me, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't fire me. You can't be. I mean, here's the thing. You can't fire me. I'm the only bassist in that you know. I'm part of like four other bands. If you fire me, I have other places to go to. It's the, that's the best thing about being a bassist. Everyone wants you. Hmm. So they're, they're, they're like the most in demand. Yeah, because no one wants to do a bass thing. Everyone in the band gets so many compliments, and I don't get. <laughs> Hey, dude, I love bass players, man. Like, they de they deserve everything. Mm. They're the ones, they're the ones that lead the the songs, man. If you think of the bass from a song, you don't feel the tension. You don't feel the what you call it. The... There's nothing that connects the drums to the guitar. 
it's yeah. it's it's two opposing sides that are trying to do their own thing. The the rhythm and the melody exist in separate realms, and the the bass has to be like the fucking bridge that connects that shit. But like, but mm-hmm. but who cares if the bass wants to be a little adventurous, right? Who cares if the bass wants to have fun when he's playing? Who cares if the bass doesn't just want to play the roots of whatever fucking chord that you're doing? Hmm. Anyway, just some music shit. I and then like I I I got really drunk that night because the this the the guy gave me a free pint and a free pizza because he said that's the least he could do for like paying for like paying for for us playing live. So I got I got drunk off the pint because I'm low tolerance, and um, a bunch of my friends were there, and I got super scenty with them. I was like it, I was like, thank you guys for coming. It means so much to me. <laughs> I I was also bummed out because I invited people, but no one showed up. Oh, not not even your your close friends. Um. Okay, so. Uh, uh, the the ones that I'm like really close with, they were, I mean, most of them probably live too far to come, and it was too short notice. We only knew that we had, cause like they they said that we had to invite a minimum of twenty people, to also get considered for residency, twenty people to the pub, and we tried to market it, and they they told us this like three days before the gig, so there was it was super short notice. We had to scramble like as fast as we fucking could. Uh, that but, explains that. But the the people uh, the, the people who turned up though those are the real ones. I love those guys like five like ten times more than I used to do. Like we we were friends then, but like I appreciate them. Like I was like super senti when I was drunk. Holy fuck! <laughs> yeah, I was like I, I love I love you guys. <laughs> you guys actually came. <laughs> Uh, that's really nice. So you gone through so much this week, ups and downs. Yeah, I was supposed so, I was supposed to actually have another thing tomorrow, but that might get canceled because people are tired and also because uh yeah, it might be expensive and I'm kind of low on cash. I'm trying to be tipid. Yeah, I was supposed to, we were, I was supposed to have like a karaoke karaoke night out in a bar with some people, but it might not push through anymore. Okay. Well, that's kind of sad. I but mean, uh, honestly, not not you, really. You I, I, I feel like I need my rest, like Bannett. I feel like because like because because like lately my 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 sleep has been so fucking bad. Like my my insomnia has gotten so much worse, and right now I'm actually getting nightmares. Like oh, when I fall asleep, I wake up like two hours later in a cold sweat, and like I feel I feel, I, 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 I remember I, the details of those nightmares. I actually do. I can tell you a bunch of them. Alright. That the last okay. the last really serious one I had was, I was uh I was in. Do you know the movie the Jew on the Grudge? Jew on the Grudge. Is that... The Grudge. They don't know the Grudge. That 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 that, that I know, movie. I know. I know it's, that it's grudge, called you know. Ju-on in Japan, and I I I I basically I I had a dream that I was being haunted by the Grudge, and I was a character in that movie. 
and that understand what does the grudges do so the whole point of the grudge is this so it's based on a traditional Japanese uh, folktale uh, about a vengeful, a vengeful spirit. A ven <laughs> yes, a vengeful spirit. <laughs> and, vengeful spirit. Mm. Uh, and uh, the vengeful spirit, this vengeful spirit doesn't stun you. It kills you. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't, don't a joke, I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, and the, the, so here's a story. There's a house and... In this house, there is uh, a family of three, and the, the the father of this family is super. Is this the original? This is the original. The father of the family is super abusive. This is the movie. Uh, super abusive, and he's like, and he's such a piece of shit, and he takes it out on his family. And one one day, he loses his job, and he's so fucking depressed that he he. What happens is he. <clears throat> in a in a fit of rage, he strangles his wife, oh, Jesus. and he drowns his son in a bathtub before he hangs himself. And and the the whole the whole point the whole premise is that the the the, the spiritual feeling of hatred among like the family members at that time is so strong that they are unable to move on and that they're stuck they're tethered to that household and the idea is that there's a curse that anybody who sets foot in that household uh, allows the allows themselves to be exposed to this hatred and <clears throat> the scary thing i think you might know the grudge from the the girl the mom the mom is the one that's like really famous right she, she she's she she's the one who crawls down the stairs and she she's famous for having a death rattle you know the one that goes like uh, 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 that, yeah. that one that's because that was the sound that she made when she was getting fucking choked that's the story behind that but but yeah i had a dream I, I, I had a dream that i was in that house and i was being haunted by that and it sounds like a, it sounds it sounds like a child childish dream but at that point it felt real and it was yeah it was fucking scary <laughs> all right yeah, i still can't i still can never get around watching scary movies mm. i don't know something about them you just really can't handle it's like the the, the the stress or the the amount of adrenaline that goes into your body and like you're getting that adrenaline without straining your body so it's like it doesn't make sense. You shouldn't. Well, the the grudge, the original Japanese grudge, is actually one of my favorite movies of all time. Because the I I most people are familiar with the American remake, which is not that good. It's it's, it's not garbage, but it's not good. Because the original Japanese one followed the stories of like several different people. It's a chain of events. One person sets foot in the house because she needs a cheap place to stay. And what she encounters there ends up affecting numerous people. And there's a th there's an underlying theme of, of, of hate. There's an, under there's an underlying theme of 
distrust, animosity towards people. And the longer that the the house is more prominent in their in their minds, the more this feeling of hostility towards their friends and family is like increased. And it and then when it spills over. Uh, and then when it spills over, they expose themselves to uh, allow themselves to be, you know, haunted and killed. Eventually, they're cursed. It's psychological. Cursed. Cursed. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyways, how do, we, how do we end up in? Games? You asked me about my 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 nightmares, my dreams. Okay. So. It happens every night, no? Since when? Uh, it happens like every two nights, every other night. It started it's just been going on for a month. this week or something, yeah. But it's not like it's debilitating because the thing about dreams is that they're scary when I'm dreaming. When I wake up, I laugh at love and I'm like, what the fuck was that? I'm not, me, I'm not, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one to like look at a nightmare and be like, oh my god, I just laugh it off. It's an, it's an interpretation. Uh, definitely, I mean, we, we will get into dreams in our next discussion. Just wait. I don't, I, I want to avoid talking too much about it now because that's a big, that's a big theme in our next episode. Okay. All right. So, let's move on to our agenda for today. This is gonna be really quick. Because. Uh, I want to get this off my mind because I have a lot of like good shit on my mind right now. All right, fair um, enough. So, uh, my recent lecture on ethics, we took a, we took on consequentialism and deontology, and I'm really fond with deontology or that's Kantian good. ideology. Okay, okay, can 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 do not confuse. All of deontology as Kantian ethics. Yeah, that's war. That's wrong. The Kantian ethics is deontology, but not all deontology is Kantian ethics. I get get what you mean. Like deontology is more universal. Kant is a little more specific. Yeah. So I, I I'm I'm aware that you know Kant. Uh, ideology, right? Yes, I'm aware of Kant's ideology. All about the goodwill and the, you know, goodwill and categorical imperative. Yes, I do know the categorical imperative. I, I don't like it, but I know it. <laughs> I, I actually, because, yeah, because I, I, I'm not so fond with like the universal, or the maxim, you know. Mm. Uh, when you talk about the maxim, there's like certain overlaps already. You know, like right, right, right. You know, tack, tackles a bit of duty, and then today we we were discussing in our lecture uh, the difference between a imperfect duty and a perfect duty. And I'll, if you're gonna follow like the categorical imperative, most of the maxims you're gonna be, uh, you know, following under will have will be imperfect. Duty. I swear to God, it's. You can never, like, more often than not, it's hard to find a perfect duty. What do you think? So the thing about, the thing about, to explain Kantian ethics better, you need to understand, like, Kant's background as a philosopher as a thinker. Uh, Because that's important, I think. 
because the 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 the, the center point of Kant's uh, ethical thinking is not so much. Kant is primarily known for his epistemology and his metaphysics, and the fact that he bridged the gap between rationalism and empiricism in many ways. But but when you're talking about his ethics in particular, you need to understand that uh, Kant is engaging in a tradition of ethics called meta-ethics. Meta, meta-ethics is a philosophical doc, um, notion that states that ethical principles can be derived from metaphysics. Do you remember what metaphysics is? Meta, oh, just, meta- to brush up, uh, just to brush up, yeah. So metaphysics, in a nutshell, is the philosophical idea that explores the nature of reality. Well, okay. like, what what is the universe, etc., etc., etc. Basically, you... basically the why of the why. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, or the or the what that determines the why. Uh, and when you when you talk about metaethics. The biggest proponents of metaethics ever, undisputed in the world, were Christians. Religious religious philosophers, all have met metaethical ideas, and Kant was one of them. And there was there was one particular thinker who inspired Kant's ethical framework, Banat, and that was Thomas Aquinas. So Tom, so, so Kant is a Christian first, and, th- and the thing about Kant is that he never explicitly mentions that he is a Christian or that God is a big deal in his philosophy. Uh, but Kant is a Christian, and Kant was influenced a lot by Thomas Aquinas. So Thomas Aquinas's main contribution is that you could discover the nature of God through observing the laws of the universe through that's that's what through ours through our aristotelian epistemology wherein aristotle believed that truth can be known through observation through natural phenomenon through the thorough scrutiny of things around you yes and aquinas basically aquinas basically said that you can achieve the same realization about the nature of god through basically doing doing that exact same thing and when you talk about god especially in christianity god is intertwined with ethics pretty much that is so go figure if god is a as a a metaphysical entity that exists beyond space beyond time and is also somehow like the locus of ethical principle Therefore, you can make the conclusion that there is a metaphysical uh, sort of, you know, demiurge, so to speak, for ethical principles to originate from. That's the whole point of deontology. So when, so when, when Kant says that people ought to act in a, so in a nutshell, the idea behind categorical imperative is pretend, pretend that everyone you control is like a, a video game character. And you decide to say you you want a litter, and you you ask yourself. So I wanna I wanna throw. My, I'm smoking on the street, and I wanna throw the cigarette butt on the sidewalk and just leave it there. 
if everyone else right. did the exact same thing I did, would I would would I be happy in the world that comes afterwards? That's the whole premise of it. If you will be if you will be fundamentally unhappy, then it's not the ethical choice. If you will be happy, then that's the good choice. Okay. In many ways, though, that's a that's a beautiful way of looking at the world. It's just that it's too absolute. There's no room for nuance, which I think is where it falters. Yeah. yeah. So really, like, uh, there's the, like in, imperfections as well. Uh, uh, what you call it? Uh, celebrate our own <clears throat> our own humanity, and you know a lot a lot of like ideology like uh, a lot of it is like respecting the ends of other people or you know his, his famous line of uh, treat others uh, as it is that uh, as they are an ends not merely as a means right yeah 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 and, um, and I really love that or I really love that idea where you respect other people like it's like they're an end like they have a purpose yeah it's a, it's a rec- whatever they wish mm-hmm. yeah it's a recognition of the fact that it, every person is valuable and what they want is of equal value to what you want it's also and it and what's what's more powerful is not that principle i think but it's the uh, it's the implication that through the, the real it's the implication that through the realization of someone being an end you in yourself are of that same status so you it denies that notion of selfishness of self you know importance and it, it's it, it it talks you down a few pedestals so you are only as important as your contribution to help people achieve their own ends including yours so if you cannot do such a thing then of what of what importance would you be in the grand scheme of things right yeah but in honesty though like if you really think about it it's kind of impossible it, it but credit where it's due though this ethical principle came at a time when there were no ethical principles so well little to no ethical principles there's there's a classic d- dilemma about Kantian about 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 the Kantian the ontology pretend you're in World War two you already yeah. know you already know where this is going I know, cause we're we're tackling. You're you're, you're you're hiding Jews in your house, and a Nazi SS officer asks you, "Are they hiding? Are you hiding Jews in your house?" The categorical imperative dictates that you must tell the truth at all times, lest everyone, yes. uh, lest lest yeah. ever, lest everyone else lie. So will you will you will you sell out your Jew, okay. your, your your the Jews in your basement, or would you lie? So, so this is where I kind of overlap a bit. So like, there's a universal duty. There, there's a duty that you uh, follow. And I actually brought this up with my professor, and she gave me a really good insight. So I asked if there, if your duty as a soldier is to protect life, like your basic duty, your basic maxim, or your maxim as a soldier is to protect life. If yes, but but. You're also, you're also responsible, or your other duty as that soldier is to follow orders. It kind of overlaps. There are two maxims, but what she said to me 
the the one uh the one where your maxim is being a soldier and protecting life it's an imperfect duty following order is a perfect duty there's you, there's no loophole behind that you follow your orders you follow your orders the imperfect duty of do, uh, being a soldier there can be some discrepancies along the way like the problem right now mm. and then she, when, when she said it to me it was like oh damn <laughs> so, that, 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 that does make sense in, 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 in some way that makes sense but I think there are three three problems with that that sort of defense for the Katyan deontology or uh, so first of all uh, the most common criticism that I've seen for Kantian ethics is that there's no room for nuance. There's no room for hypotheticals. To be honest, I'd rather have imperfect duty, yeah. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. Just to have that, because <clears throat> to boil down every moral choice to uh, to an idea of a black or white A or A or B scenario, you know, it it's almost like the world will not you you deny a lot of the fundamental agency and also subsequent beauty of said agency to the world if you do that and here's the thing if i let let let's say i was the person hiding juice if the categorical if the categorical imperative says says tell the truth at all times then i would sell out my juice in my basement However, if the, if I adjust the scenario a little bit, and because here's the thing, uh, what I think about the categorical imperative, I don't think it's the, I don't think the premise is duty. I think the premise is happiness. Will I be fundamentally happier with the world that I live in if everyone were to do what I did? So if I tweak the scenario and I say something like, if the premise now is mm. is tell the truth unless it's about Jews in my basement, then I'd lie. Because fundamentally, if everyone lied about Jews in their basement, everyone would be much happier. But it's not like it's not like the categorical imperative is of that absolute value where it must also account for all the countless different nuances there, right? Because the categorical, the categorical imperative assumes more or less that everyone assume that everything ought to be a perfect duty. Yeah, and which is not the case. Yeah, that's that's wrong. I mean, if you think about it, it goes it that that premise itself, that case, can can be can go against the principle of the goodwill. Mm. Don't you think? Yeah. Like, if if it's the end of like if you're re- also respecting the ends of the Jews that you want they want to live, you want to respect them. But right? what 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 of the ends of the Nazis? Uh, who are we to judge so, them? Who are we to judge the Nazis as evil if we follow the categorical imperative, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I. That's the one question I had like last week. Like, pretend if you're a soldier, you're fighting for the country. That's your maxim, right? But what if you're serving like a greater evil? What then? Are you still counted like ethically uh, or morally right? In the morally right, and. In essence, you are still doing the right thing, but the thing is that your ignorance is what makes you uh, stay in that position. If the moment you become aware of that, 
or that, the moment that you're aware that you're serving for a greater evil, then maybe then you can say that your duty is now imperfect. Therefore, it can lead to being un- lead to it being unethical. So, yeah. yeah, what what you just did there is actually really interesting. You 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 applied Karl Popper's uh, epistemology to an ethical principle to, to an ethical scenario. Yeah. Popper, if, 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 I, 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 I have to bring up Karl Popper all the time because Karl Popper introduced um, the contemporary study of the philosophy of science. And it's, as a scientist, you should know who this guy is. So, so if you don't even forget, the, 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 just to brush you up, Popper said that Popper said that it is it is only acceptable to be ignorant if you if you are not presented with information that is sufficient enough. So, assume, and if you apply the 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 classic Greek Platonic idea that there is only one evil and that is ignorance, your evil is excusable insofar as you do not have the information to make a good choice. Hmm. And after that, it kind of overlaps with. The Catholic faith's uh, like idea of salvation that even if you're not part of the Catholic faith, if you still, you know, act as a good person, you can that, still that, that is not a Catholic idea. Really? Oh no. wait, Christian. That is Christian. a that is a that is a Christian that is a fundamentally Christian idea. Sorry. And yeah. no, no way. Yeah. No, nowhere in Catholic dogma does it explicitly say that. Yeah. Sorry, uh, I, I got too washed up in Christian Catholicism for my whole life, so it it, it kind of just overlaps. Oh, tr- trust me, I'm ten times the Catholic you are. I was almost a priest, man. <laughs> I promise, man. Holy fuck. <laughs> in, 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 in another timeline. Now, <clears throat> now, right. that, that was what I was going to be until I became an atheist. Jesus. All right, so uh, let's go to the case studies I I discussed in class, which is actually very interesting. I mean, the right. one I'm, I wrote on it's called um, "Orphaned Embryos: A Case Study on Bioethics." But yeah, so basically, we're gonna tackle bioethics. So yes. it's very simple bioethics. You don't need to be a science major to know much, but you know. IVF, right? In vitro fertilization. In test your babies. Test your babies, yeah. There, there are so many uses for those test your babies. I've just learned now, well, after reading the case study, because do you know stem cell regeneration? Yes. Here's the thing. Uh, those ba- those embryos, basically, can add to the research. Or can add to the use of stem cell research or stem cell regeneration uh-huh. because in it, uh, embryos it's in itself are stem cells you can alter its genetic properties to help gen- regenerate muscle tissue uh, like organs living living tissue and in fact you can even help cure Parkinson's disease yeah, I've heard of this uh, yes yeah. I, so, I, I, it's just I wanted to bring this up because uh, right, right before you came here, I was watching the Joe Rogan podcast, and 
uh, Joe Joe Rogan had uh, Aubrey de Grey guest on on the show. Mm. I don't know if you know him. So Aubrey de Grey uh, is the world's leading expert on gerontology. Gerontology. It's the the study of aging. Why do we age? What happens when we age? How do you prevent aging? Ah, oh, yeah. It's I I, I remember reading how why we age is that we reuse our own cells and then those cells just you know yeah they become, they become washed up and when they do when they do the cell splitting it's no longer the same cell splitting as it was like, um, before because they they lose its touch or they yeah. lose they, they kind of get lost you know they, yeah 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 <laughs> they they forget that they're supposed to copy this exactly but so but, more but, or less. but but the theory, but then theoretically speaking right it's like he he talked about how the issue of aging is actually like underrepresented in the science community because it, it, biologists nowadays actually like it, like they take the more physicist oriented approach to how why why we age because uh, like a lot biologists would even argue that it's nothing more than the principle of entropy that's just being applied. <laughs> and and Aubrey, and Mr. Degree said there, there's obviously more to it than that. The way he looks at the way he looks at aging, he says, is that it's like a, it's like a sort of ubiquitous disease. It's a it's a ubiquitous disorder that everyone ha- happens to have and is completely preventable. Completely preventable. Whoa. Theoretically, so theoretically, it should be preventable, given how much we understand and what we can do with science and how and how we know the structure of how it works. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can expand more. Let's let's not uh, uh, let's let's hold on to the case studies. Well, this case study. Well, I don't so, want I don't want to get into it because you should just watch the whole thing, but all right, fine. but 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 in a nutshell, right? It's just that, like what you said about how, in many ways, if you break it down to the to the micro scale, it's a matter of just getting your cells fixed up. If you can find yeah. the way, for example, to have your body stop reusing cells, like through yeah. med- medication alteration or what whatever. That's pretty much it. You can live forever. Mm-hmm. Well, in many ways, yeah, that's that's one way to look at it, right? Yeah, but here's here's the problem with stem cell regeneration. It's expensive as fuck. Mm-hmm. It's like millions, man. You you know you know what you you can build you can build restaurants and stem cells. <laughs> it, it, it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a, it's a soft park joke. Oh, okay. The you, you know you know that episode it's just so funny. Kenny Kenny died. I mean, doesn't Kenny always die? Yeah, but in or this did he ep- actually die? Uh, it, it's an episode where they tackled that if he actually did die. Kenny Kenny died for like a f- a few a few yeah well Kenny died that's basically what happened, and Cartman he was using the fact that Kenny was dying. Uh, to sort of um, pit, use use pity to milk money so that he could buy stem cells to build the shakies. Pretty <laughs> 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 Okay. 
So let's go back into the case study. So the, the orphan embryo. So the case study starts out with two couples. So okay. they invested money on a project relating to the IVF. They went to an IVF clinic and they asked to fertilize eight eggs. All right. And they eight or seven. Uh, I forgot. Now. Um, so they asked to fertilize eight or seven eggs and they got their they wanted to get a twin so they they fertilized eggs and then they put it into the mom or let's call them call her mrs smith it's the the two characters are mr mrs smith and they bore one uh they they were supposed to bear twins but they only bore one Mm -hmm. and they said okay let's just leave it here we'll come back soon in a later date uh, we'll just ask you to freeze these embryos until we get back to you so the clinic just waited and over a year after so, uh, like not even a year like after quite some time a really long time uh, the clinic went to contact Mr. and Mrs. Smith for the fate of or the disposition of their frozen embryos uh-huh. And the thing is, after contacting them, they they found out uh, soon after that they have passed away over a year ago. They're dead. Auto- yeah, they're basically dead. They died over a year ago, and basically they can no longer contact them. Uh, they they no longer have anyone to to ask. Uh, what's the disposition of? the embryos uh-huh. uh, however um, the clinic is also in line or uh, bas- uh, basically in partnership with this hospital that helps with stem cell research and with using they only give uh, they're going they're, they only support the stem cell research or donate uh, stem cells to this research if and only if there is a surplus of embryos uh, coming from their clinic so uh, the, the the homework asks like what are the ethical problems I stated one which I kind of have to disprove immediately because firstly uh, a lot of people that were discussing in class also said that uh the, the embryos kind of have a right then I'm just like no they don't they're technically are properties even though yeah eventually they can be sentient eventually Here's the thing. fucking anything can be sentient my computer could be sentient in a few years <laughs> like they're not yet living per se they're just cells and since they're not even living they don't really have rights so they're technically property of Mr. and Mrs. Smith so here, here, here's the dilemma now. Uh, what is the pr- best or ideal option? The clinic offered to give those stem cells to the research, basically. And what do you think of that? And we approach, we had to approach this in a Kantian perspective. See, right. that, that's a hard thing to answer because... Exactly. Ca- ca- the but, ca- a Kantian perspective, per se, would... It's multifaceted. You can't. You, you cannot just assume that all contents are deontology. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just. That was really hard for me to answer. Like I had to really 
keep reading uh, <laughs> just to say like, hmm, how am I going to answer this? So this is what I think, right? So my proposal on how I answered this is that, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, since they were the ones responsible for for the embryos and they passed away. So they no long, no one else is uh, responsible for the embryos. Uh, there's an argument that what if we give it to an immediate family member, but you're approaching huh? it in a legal legal way. Is that a because, real argument? Yeah, yeah, like some people actually argued like in class. That, that that's a that's a real uh, fucking argument. Yeah. But technically that can work, but that's approaching it in a legal manner. No, and... that that's not gonna work in any sense at all. I don't think that will work oh, yeah. anyway. I, I I I forgot. The state that they the clinic is in has no jurisdiction or legislation under stem cell embryos. So it's feral state. Ah <laughs> uh, but but the thing is like now you're now you're putting the burden of the of of, of ethics on someone else, and I don't Easy. think I don't think that's fair, in any sense. That I think the fact that now you have to you have you have to put the dilemma on the shoulders of someone else, the immediate family is completely like unwarranted, and there's no place for that in the dilemma. Exactly. So any position, not, well, sorry, uh, but like any 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 position where the party in question must give up its duty, or 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 give or give up its sort of like, like like basically forfeit its responsibility, is just ethically wrong automatically. I think. Okay, so yeah, uh, the clinic, uh, since I, for if I'm not mistaken, that should be their protocol if they have a surplus of embryos. To give it away, to research. At least mm-hmm. it's be- it, it, it's it's a added benefit to society. So it can still go in line with the goodwill in in essence because they're following their own duty in in the in bi- in biology and like helping in you know research. But if you if you look at it this way, Mister and Missus Smith's embryos are already counted as surplus of stem cell embryos because. No one else has to do the over it except for the clinic. That's what I argued. If the if the Mr. and Mrs. Smith were the original people who have the duty to uh, decide the disposition of the embryos, since they passed away, the next one or the immediate people that will take on that duty should be the one that's affiliated with that duty in the duty with Mr. and Mrs. Smith in the first place, which is the clinic itself. Mm-hmm. So that's what. I argued. So, basically, the clinic has full reign on deciding what to do. And in essence, since uh, the most or the best option that I, that was offered, or that could, I think that I thought of uh, for the case study is that they would give it away for research. Then I think it's ethically alright if the clinic gave it away. What do you think? So. Okay, so I do not know where to start here, actually. Oh, really? hmm. I mean, I do know where to start. But first of all, you need to understand first, like, that you, if, you, if you break down the problem, present me with the choice, with the, the, the two choices again. 
What 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 what? I can I, I can read you all the given choices that the taster has. Uh, like pick and choose which one's like, the the most ideal. All right, here are the choices. Okay, first one is do nothing. Keep the embryos frozen. Two, destroy the embryos. Three, offer to give consult to an immediate family member regarding their fate. Uh, offer the embryos for adoption by another family. Mm-hmm. Office of Biochemistry homepage search the oh shit never mind uh sell the embryos to a commercial company working in embryonic stem cells or allow the embryos to be used for publicly funded research into Parkinson's disease or basically stem cell research but you're giving them for free and yeah okay so ah before I start, I wanna. <laughs> no, never mind. No, I just thought of another South Park episode. <laughs> sure, go ahead. Anyways. Uh, anyway, like, so. First of all, uh, ask yourself what, what, what makes some of these choices ethically wrong? Uh, actually, you know, this kind of overlaps a bit with. Con- with... Con- with utilitarian uh, perspective, uh, like a lot of it kind of overlaps with that as well. Like destroying the embryos, and I I think the best one that could go against utilitarian was destroy the embryos. Like, mm-hmm. why would you destroy the embryos if it can be used for good? Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, some of the crazy utilitarians, like in the 21st century, devised mathematical methods of calculating value so that you could mathematically arrive at the best utilitarian choice possible. Oh. Fucking insane, like the, the, the crazy utilitarians like nowadays. But anyway, <laughs> I was reading a utilitarian dissertation and I got so lost in it because they introduced like a fucking calculus equation for value. And I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> not not um, today, not right now, maybe some other time. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, uh, for me, what makes me a little ambiguous is the offer the embryos for adoption by another family. Because it okay, uh, so so I will so I will tell you now that any op any 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 option that says that I think is ethically wrong, there because it's a denial of responsibility. Because here's the thing, if it also depends on how you look, how the embryos are perceived. Are these humans or are they? property are these just commodities because i asked you earlier like what makes some of the choices presented wrong choices the idea stems from the fact that you are dealing with something that could potentially but is not actually a human yeah and the issue with uh that is that you're you're dealing with something that is fundamentally in that question mark state not an actuality but metaphorically in the minds of people you are in that question mark kind of attitude state and to offer up an embryo to a family is you sort of uh delineating the burden of responsibility to another party so that will deny the content uh in many ways you're sort of like it's like it's like a get out of jail kind of card <laughs> not only and 
If you ask me personally, I would stem so the fuck out of those embryos. I would then, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm willing to bet that that's what most of the world will vote with us as well. Not the Philippines, but yeah. most of, not most of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, that, like that's for me. That's the most foreseeable answer. But I don't know, like the people who took the case study. I had really Be- different answers. Because like, it destroyed it, it, the embryos. It, it, okay, first of all, that's the stupid nihilist answer to somebody who doesn't want to think. Destroy the embryos. The, the, anyone who says it, that, anyone who says that, is the same person who would say, "Nothing matters in life anyway. Who cares?" Here's the argument: like, if if it was the wishes of Mr. and Mrs. Smith to do something since they're gone, then. Uh, we should leave it there. If they were asked, if they were asking to like not do anything with them, then let's just leave it at that. But no, there is, but there is, there is no legal, there is no legal restriction. There is no jurisdiction over this. So it completely, it completely depends on who owns it. Did did, did Mr. and Mrs. Smith own the embryos in the first place? No, they didn't. It's actually like in it's like a contract between them and clinic but assuming that this is a property who owns the property legally speaking it should be like legally speaking it should be mr mrs smith Mm. given that circumstance if they had been alive at that moment could they have just walked in there and taken it with no questions asked they could have yeah oh okay but Irregardless, if they do not mention anything in their will, then it's you know it's not theirs and they forfeit it. But the thing is, yeah. at the same time, right? You mentioned that there is no sort of legal jurisdiction for what happens to these embryos, and as far as the state is concerned, to the to the yeah. legal system, these the, the embryos are nothing more than property. Exactly. So, a good way to think philosophically is to think in categories. Instead of finding the ultimate end-all, be-all answer, find different answers for different contingencies. I think this is also what the ethic, what ethics professors want to teach you, but they don't tell you that this is what they want you to do. Think. So it's like you, fi- think you, you in, go yeah. into each option, something like that. A little bit like that. Think in categories. Think in hypotheticals. Pretend you are an pretend. That each situation is um, a mathematical equation, and you just plug in values. Yeah. I I I realized that like, uh, how I'm thinking how like how you answer ethics how I answer ethics after like taking these two, uh, two, uh, ideologies. It's like, you know, uh, if you tackle a problem or a case study. Like which chess pieces from the philosophy fits? Yeah, it's a good it's a good practice, and this is something that philosophy professors want to teach you, but they never really know how to articulate it. I think think categorically, divide divide things into situations where the you know where it's only limited to that idiosyncrasy and nothing outside. So so let's 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 try it for this principle. So let's let's look let's approach it first from two main angles. 
so it's really easy to assume like what a deal that so it's really easy to assume like what the utilitarian would do right so let's look at so but it's harder now if you want to take a deontological approach because the fundamental principle of deontology is that the end the end sort of like is justified by the means by the sort of like by the by the ethos of why and the thing about the why is that when you when you want to ask unethical why you are acting upon something and this something for it to be a deontological constant has to have a sort of value this value can be whatever and for the sake of simplicity let's just say that there are there are two values here and the why that we're acting upon is the embryo so let's say what would a deontologist do when confronted with an embryo as an item and an embryo as a human. Okay. Very easy. My, 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 my professor mentioned that Kant actually said, would or stated that embryos are not counted as humans. Therefore, they're, yeah, they Kant, are problems. Kant would not agree with uh, that sentiment that yeah, Kant, Kant would say that embryos are property, but we're not as answering this as Kant. We're not going to answer this as Kant. Uh, we're going to answer this as ourselves. So let's assume that an embryo can be... Let's look at scenario A. Embryo is a property, and scenario B, embryo is a human. So it's very easy. Embryo A, as if it's a property, a deontologist would... Use it for stem cell research. Yeah. Yeah, it's the most practical option. And at the same time, it's just property. But, yeah. And, and also, to be honest, it also, it's also the utilitarian... Uh, it is. The utilitarian so, so like, option. They can overlap. That's what I, why I'm very fond of, that these mm -hmm. philosophies can still overlap. And now let's, let's, let's look. Situation, situation B, embryo is a human... Uh, okay, hmm. embryos are human. If I'm going back to what this offered, hmm. mm -hmm. obviously we can't destroy them. Duh. Yeah, um, that's what that's what a fucking idiot nihilist would do. I don't think anyone. Nothing. The, the, this this keep end them frozen. Nah. That yeah. No, those two options. If anyone answers those as ethically correct. I, I, yeah, no. You should drop this class. <laughs> yeah, stop. It's over. Uh, I, I, I think it's either offered to give consult to an immediate family member regarding the disposition or offer them the adoption. Oh, well. So I mm -hmm. Also, if you want to look at uh, uh, deeper... I want to entertain that that idea of like what would Kant actually do, because the thing about Kant's ethics is that Kant laid out his categorical imperative in well, Kant wrote three big books. Uh, I believe that the categorical imperative appeared in uh, where did it appear in? I think that it appeared in Critique of Practical Reason. I've not. I have not read it. I've only read parts of the Critique of Pure Reason, which was one of the hardest reads I've ever come across in my whole life. Oh my God! 
But if you, but then Kant had another book called the Theory and Practice, and in this book, uh, you can get insights to more about Kant's ethics. All three of these books uh, give insights to Kant's ethics, and in theory and practice, this is I think the easiest of Kant's works to understand. Kant uh, lays out his idea of what an an ideal state looks like, and you can you can sort of derive. A little bit more about Kantian ethics in reading this. So the, the the gist of theory and practice is that there's an emphasis on uh, on personal responsibility, right? That's a common theme, and in particular, personal responsibility as a citizen in relation to the law, and it's also vice versa a state's personal responsibility towards its people so in a, in a so in a so let, let's so i told you before that the the main sort of like value the sort of like incentive for people to follow the categorical imperative was happiness right that's what i believed right yeah yeah, yeah it's happiness yeah. so can't believe that happiness is not an absolute thing happiness is in is yeah. Is, 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 is actually common. yeah yeah like, uh, when in, if i'm not mistaken uh, following Kant's perspective, like happiness w- is not regarded. Yeah. Like, in, in fact, there's some sort of martyrdom when you follow uh, the categorical imperative. It's not that it's disregarded. I think that's a gross misinterpretation. I, uh, I, I disagree with that statement that it's something that's disregarded. I think um, when I think when happy ha, well Kant said happiness is relative. Happiness is not an absolute. The reason why you assume it's disregarded is because ca- the categorical imperative takes a position of absoluteness. And at the same time, Kant's uh, idea of a legislative state or a legislation has to be absolute in that it's all encompassing with no nuances. But that is not to deny the existence or the or the existence of a value of a certain concept. So if you ask me, for Kant, happiness is relative in the sense that it is felt differently, it is gained differently. And I think that is important to understand that you can you can never look at happiness in the assumption that, it's something that people will feel equally at equal levels of at at, at at you know at the same time things like that but can't 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 outline this and he said that there is no way that you can use happiness as a baseline to generate a fixed principles that are applicable to everyone yeah yeah i i read that part yeah mm-hmm I read the part when you first introduced to Kant boy. But a big thing about Kant's uh, idea of law is this. Yeah. Is that laws should disregard happiness. But not people. That's the thing. Disregard happiness. Law laws should disregard happiness. But not totally. Laws should be followed for happiness, but happiness should not be taken into consideration when creating them. You get what I'm saying? I get what you're saying. 
not gonna lie. Grab it. Wait till I'm. I was about to get into the critique of pure reason. I'm going to kill you there. Oh no. <laughs> I might just fall asleep. <laughs> you. You will. I promise. Holy fuck. So. <laughs> So, so that a big thing about Kant's idea of law is that it's very big on the idea of consent, Submi consent. submission, permission, oh. awareness okay. of a party of what it's getting into, right? Ah, okay. And I think if you apply that notion to an ethical principle. Con the consent of parties plays a big part on whether a certain deontological value would be ethically right or wrong. So, in the in theory and practice, Kant said that laws ought to be two things in general. Laws have to be applicable to everybody, absolute. And they have to be reflective of common will, what people want, everyone, right? That they, these are odds. They, odds. But the laws have to represent the interests of people. So, so in order, so in order for a law to be based on everybody's interest. It cannot take account happiness because happiness is relative. The fact, uh, yeah, 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 the okay. fact that happiness is based on what different people experience now means that you cannot use it as a benchmark for creating laws because you, there will be some people that you disregard. Gets? Gets, gets. So, now you can derive can so many. It. You can derive like a whole world of ethical nuances from this idea of law. Even like eating pizza. Mm hmm so uh, let's assume, let's let let's apply this is it ethically right well, how would how would Kantians eat a pizza so the so how would Kantians eat a pizza first of all the the Kantians let's say that the pizza is divided into into like into like seven slices equal, eh? parts. equal parts and how many are we in the group uh, let's say we're five. It's an odd number, so someone's gonna get fucked over, right? So, <laughs> so I have a joke. Right, it's a joke. Never mind. It's a sh never mind. It's a nine gag joke. <laughs> it's so bad. Are you like scrolling through nine gag right now? No, no, no. I just remembered it, and it was like, oh, it's so, so awful. Anyway, it's a nine gag. <laughs> anyway, so. The, con the five conscience first have to agree that uh, that uh, right now they are feeling a level of difference from each other. Content A is hungry, content B is full, content C is starving, so on and so forth. So now we, we can assume from that from that we can we can presume now that the contents have different levels of happiness. Right? Yeah. So now, how would the conscience divide the pizza among the five of them? They need to agree on a rule now. The rule has to be applicable to all, and it has to reflect common will. So the conscience would say now that, okay, let's all agree to this rule. 
all right so objective a check objective b commonwealth objective b or content is like um i'm not that hungry you can have it mm. and it, and objective b is oh yeah i'm starving can i have two i haven't eaten anything the whole day so okay. at the end of the day the contents divide the pizza really oddly content b eats two slices content a gets nothing but at the end of the day right they come to a sort of consensus of how they ought to eat the pizza as contents uh, and you know and you know a, a utilitarian person would not have made that sort of decision making process so yeah consent important but but you know there's i'm not gonna get so into it because we'll probably just we'll go on and we'll go on that on that tangent like for for forever but uh the the takeaway is that there's like a, a whole world of like options you can get from knowing what Kant thought about things like consent and happiness and things like that because if if a person disagreed to if they dis disagreed to it if a person said no and objective a was unfulfilled then it would not be the right thing to institute this kind of rule this regulation i'm losing my mind for this Sorry. <laughs> so on the topic of embryos right now now you now you ask yourself generally speaking what is the what is the common will of all parties involved well, Minus the Smiths because they're fucking dead. Yeah. Well, since it's since it's the duty of the clinic and uh, you know protocol that surplus of embryos is ought to be donated or deployed, and therefore that should be the most ideal option. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, objective A apply to everyone let's say for example everyone in the context of the scenario is everyone in the clinic if uh, if it applies to ever an objective b is that it's reflective of the clinic's will and let's say that the clinic's will is as a you know the clinic work it functions as a as an entity of its own right uh, its own judicial entity so let's say that in, in its vision mission so to speak it's outlined that that is their protocol so in many ways the clinic as an institution reflects a common will so a Kantian way to, to go about it applying that framework of legislation would be stem cell research Woo! just this is just an example right. you, you could probably disprove that i just thought of that on the fucking fly so yeah. Uh, I, I I think I think I can't catch up. In Holy shit! Do you want to get into the critique of pure reason or nah? How con how, 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 how confident are you feeling? Uh, not much, cause you know I came from like uh, <laughs> a meeting that lasted up to twelve. So you know I don't think my energy can last this long anymore, bro. But. <clears throat> I think we can wrap up slowly. Is that is that the uh, you you said you had more cases to talk about? Let's go to the one more case. All right, all right, all right. Since since we had a lot of disposition, uh, trying to answer this case, 
Oh, let's let's disagree first. So, both of us would agree that we had offered this for research. Yes. Right. And like, why would we offer it? Why would we like sell it? It's also unethical in itself. Also, I think there's a loophole that people fall into where they treat ethics like it's a religion. Where I'm a utilitarian, therefore all my choices have to be utilitarian. That's not. I don't think that's right. I think my I think my ethical way of decision making changes depending on the situation. Yeah, yeah, like how you approach the a, like a case. There, there, yeah. On, firstly, how you perceive your own yeah uh, how does philosophy. it relate how does it relate to me as a person first and foremost and then what what's what's your initial steps and if you think it's not satisfactory then you can yeah. go into different I don't know, philosophies for, for for example if i if i had to make an ethical decision surrounding friends and family i would most likely be a deontologist uh, and if I were to make an ethical decision surrounding a business, I would most likely be a utilitarian. And if I were to make an ethical decision about Sarah Hieronymo's wedding, I might be a nihilist. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. Okay, okay. Yeah, so go this on. case study, um, I read, uh, it's like kind of wordy, but I, I, can, I already like compressed it into a few amount of words. So basically there's this doctor. Uh the doctor's name was at stake. Uh, his name is John Johnson. 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 Just drive. Go, 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 go. But yeah, let's call him Dr. J. <laughs> Doc J. Doc J. So Doc J is working for this company. Right? Mm-hmm. And basically the uh he has found like he has discovered that the there is a cure for a certain disease that has been plaguing his country for over six years and okay. for every year it takes out takes up about five thousand lives i feel like i'm familiar with this it's called valley of sorrow okay oh. wait but go on i just give me a, a reminder so yeah Basically, annually, 5,000 lives are lost due to this disease. And he has found a solution, or literally a cure, that could remedy this disease. By, and it could reduce that 5,000 lives to like about 90% of it. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. The company doesn't want to show it to the public, or doesn't want that information to leak out to the public. So... They want to keep it to themselves and develop the cure. The, 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 the company will develop the cure by themselves and commercialize it. Mm. I, here, here's the dilemma now. Here's the dilemma now. John, uh, Dr. Johnson has the power, the ability to, to like make the information public at the cost of his job. Of his, of his job. I mean, here's the thing. They'll another one, another firm will just fucking hire me. He's a genius. So yeah, basically, does it like? Do you think he should uh, compromise his job just for the common people? Yes. Yeah. Because to be honest, like, 
because here's the yeah, thing here's the thing he needs to do it smartly because he needs to advertise himself as he blows the whistle because his whistleblowers are, are heroes the guy who did polio did that you know he did he never commercialized the cure for it people like snowden and julian assange and i'm not saying be a hero but i'm saying that i talked about this in my in my in the last episode where i did a rant actually are you there yeah i'm here, I'm here. Yeah. i talked about how the only way a person should view an institution is through a utilitarian perspective all institutions ought to be means to an end because for, for first and foremost institutions are tools and tools are meant to help you not the other way around right yeah. So if I was so first of all, you need Doc Doc Johnson needs to realize first and foremost the center of his axiology. Where are his priorities? What is the locus of where he puts value, right? What is that sort of centerpiece? What's important to him? What's his own personal maxim? Whoa. Yeah, that's that, that's Nietzschean ethics. That's Nietzsche. The, Nietzsche, the the ult, the ultimate judge is the self, the the human, the human, yeah. the, the, so the, the 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 individual. That's when, that's when my prof said that this will violate uh, uh, Kantian ethics, but uh, through sacrificing that, like by breaking your duty, just by following your own imper imperfect duty. Uh, it kind of ethically, you know, will help the greater good. So it, it technically, also, you have to like disprove the deontology approach or the utilitarian approach, just so you could, you know, uh -huh. be quote unquote ethically right here. Yep. And here's the thing. Here's the thing as well. In this day and age, Doc Johnson can just blow the whistle and everyone else in that company will lose their jobs. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. That, that's the thing. The, comp the whole company will lose their jobs. So in essence, if, they, if the whole company loses their jobs, he's also, you know, doing a bad thing at the same time. But if you think about it, that's why it tackles you to the time. What's more beneficial? Uh saving lots of lives or making a bunch of people lose their jobs and i think also because that dilemmas like this don't pave way for the nuance because i think a big part of it also is how is how he blows the whistle yeah because and it's not really tackled much yeah because like he has to give names because the people who will be lynched by the hysteria mob are not going to be everybody the secretary won't get hurt only the CEO, you know, just so to speak, just for example. But the thing is, you know, when you when you work in a business, when you work for an institution like a firm, like a business, there are certain sacrifices. There are certain uh, preconceptions that you need to assume before you go in there. And one 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 such preconception is that. 
uh, every single businessman engages in a sort of phenomenal phenomenological discourse and a very basic one at that the business is separate from their own interest ideally that but that's an issue of business ethics uh, but they they are both treated societally as two separate entities the business is not the individual bezos is not amazon at this point though bezos is amazon but but ideally <laughs> but ideally it should be different like google is not sergey brin or larry page uh and it becomes dangerous now when the the firm the platform become <laughs> becomes a voice for the whims and the wishes of the individual like zuckerberg and facebook bezos and google and if they have power they sort of like they sort of like they take advantage of it they're immune to so many legal limitations and so and so but people like elon musk musk is not all of the companies he owns the companies he owns stand out as their own their own just... entities musk just happens to be a guy who benefits from say, um, from being around these companies so to speak just say it's like a philanthropist or not philanthropists are people who give money man like nah so you benefit a lot in like research and children philanthropists are investors first and foremost but at the same time you know my, my 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 point here is that it depends also on like the the people who run the, who who are in that sort of like firm they sort of signed a, an unseen contract a hypothetical contract that sort of says that risks like this will happen and at the same time doc johnson depending on how he blows the whistle they're there because that's its own ethical dilemma how will doc johnson blow the whistle if ever he does how will he put himself out there and how will he put the company out there okay it wasn't clearly stated in the case of me so i have no answer for that no it's meant to be vague because it depends because johnson johnson could easily be a, a cunt and just be like this whole company they're all hacks they're all they're all they're all fucking you know they're all demons and then they get they all get lynched so so to speak or johnson can be a beta and just say here's the cure and then he doesn't say anything about the company or johnson can be very specific on who he names as the people who restricted him the ones who impose the real ones and all whatever take take a page out of snowden's book edward snowden my favorite whistleblower edward snowden Edward Snowden has the world's gratitude and a place in the hearts of every country in the world except the states. He, he, he cannot go to the states. He's wanted. And if you don't know who Edward Snowden is, Edward Snowden is the, he's the computer scientist who, uh, who released the data information that said that the American government was spying on its people through the NSA. Like that tapping into your webcams without you knowing things like that. Oh, that's why there's those memes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that 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 that, that is old. That's that's that, 
that's decades old well not really decades old but that, that that's really old and right now snowden is in refuge in europe huh. All right. he's a fugitive he can he's wanted by the american government he cannot set foot in the states or he will go to jail the russians offered him offered him you know like a place to chill and, i wish my life would be that easy <laughs> It will end the be honest, know, it's not easy if you're Snowden, but you know. Smuggling Snowden out. Like he was on the Joe Rogan podcast via Skype. Wait, what? No yeah, way. He was, yeah. Look it up. Damn. Alright. I wish we could like invite like famous people into this podcast, you know? But the thing just about a, just small stuff. But the way the way Snowden blew his whistle, he didn't give any like big names he just detailed what they were doing and the and the thing was he knew that it was easy because it's not like the nsa is gonna fire all of their employees but that's another thing like who's the one preventing johnson from releasing the cure in that in the business no one essentially Oh, no one, like, at all. No one's gonna stop him. But, but then why, why would the business lose their jobs? Why would, why would if, if Johnson released it and said, fuck, fuck this business, why, why would this business lose their jobs? Yeah. It's clearly stupid. Who's gonna fire the businessman who said, don't release it? Themselves? Because, like, no nuances like that are kind of important, right? Yeah, very. Okay. But, I can get back to you on that, so I'll reread this whole thing. But, but you know, just in, in, in a nutshell, man, like, if, if Johnson were to do his own thing, because, like, this is exactly the same as, like, so many... Uh, pharmaceutical ceos or medicinal researchers have had this de dilemma this dilemma is the exactly the same as like the the polio guy who made polio i'll look him up who made the polio vaccine jonas salk there you go jonas jonas salk yeah jonas salk is remembered for being polio was one of the worst epidemics in history and he made the vaccine and he just put it out there for everybody he could have sold it for millions but he didn't alternatively you have people like martin shkreli uh-oh so martin shkreli is the uh well he's he's in jail now actually he frees it's over for him but he was the ceo of uh of a, like of a pharmaceutical slash biotechnical company and uh -huh. he was convicted for uh getting the patent for a drug that was really that, that was like that was like really important for treating things like aids or something like that and he basically spiked the price like by a fucking lot uh, it says here from from fourteen dollars to seven hundred fifty dollars because it was super high in demand. 
But he wasn't arrested for that. He was arrested for security fraud. <laughs> but the whole the whole point is that he he marked he he obtained he obtained like a patent for a drug that people needed and he marked up the price to insane amounts so that the only people who could buy for him were like the really rich people and that's, uh, that's a big ass move and the thing was he was completely within his legal rights to do it he made yeah he, it was it's a dick move he was he was a real cunt about it but <laughs> but legally <coughs> it worked out for him <coughs> let's just but, but yeah and it also reminds me of an ethical dilemma that I had in a, in a business ethics class I took in uni, in my own uni. As follows, uh, I as follows. Here's the dilemma. Let's give me. So I'll, I'll say this. So let's say I have a Doc Johnson too, and Doc Johnson and his team. Uh, Doc Johnson and his team created a pill that can cure the that can cure the the like like something like the common cold. Yeah. Uh, instantaneously, and it's revolutionary. And the and but when they clinically tested the drug, it showed that there is a ten percent chance that the drug will cause brain damage. Or rather, or Jesus. So, so, what should I, as a CEO, do? Should I release the drug to the public, or should I should I keep it in development or not release it at all it's a big okay. this is this is a business ethics question so it's a different a different perspective of looking at it all right so if you look at it this way if your company especially your company that develops already a lot of different uh medicine in essence if you make a decision to give that uh give it away yeah, you know that go that and make it go public you're gonna lose money you're gonna lose funding mm -hmm. in order to further uh develop the other drug which in essence if you can't further uh develop those drugs you won't help people in the process because you're missing out on developing those drugs right mm -hmm. so if i guess in a business ethic perspective it is unethical under that approach because you if you like pretend that there's a chance that you lose your job because of leaking that and if you're if the end of the company was to help people through making those uh, drugs and making this decision to make it go public will greatly diminish your profit sales then yeah I guess I could say in a in a business ethic per perspective, it is unethical. Mm -hmm. yeah. I would agree, yeah. yeah. I would agree, but we're talking about Dr. J, <laughs> mm -hmm. not the company. Yep. So, yeah. The, the company has to ask a different set of questions for themselves. But, yeah, in a nutshell, 
it's there, there, there's, there, there's no disputing that the ethical choice is to come forth with the cure. There's also this thing in 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 court cases called a lie of omission, right? It's where you deliberate you you deliberately don't tell the truth in order to make uh, a statement more believable, something like that. For example, this is a uh, for example I'm testifying in court and I say something like, Bobby. Bobby stabbed me in the arm four times with a a sharp blade, Com and then I, I can say that and it makes you look like a piece of shit. But what if, for example, I didn't say the fact that I was like, I was like robbing your house at the time, for example? That's a lie of omission. Mm, but by by me not saying something. I am making the truth look like it's in my favor when it really shouldn't be. Okay, I guess I see it. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um, that's uh, the two case studies. The third one I didn't. I don't want to tackle that. It's kind of boring. These are one of the two interesting ones because they're they're purposely vague. Well, one is very vague, but you can approach this in different way, ways ways yeah. and. One is very hard to approach under a content perspective. So yeah, um, <coughs> those were our, our two case studies. And uh, here's a interesting okay. one. Uh, I noticed in your curriculum that <coughs> I noticed in your curriculum that you um had a uh, John Rawls there. Right? Have you taken a pop over already? Not yet. Peace and virtue ethics, right? No, uh, just, just justice, a theory of justice. Justice. He's <laughs> next week, or not not next week, rather two weeks from now. So, in a nutshell, John John Rawls uh, said um, that that when you when you create rules for a hypothetical state, they need to be done so behind a veil of ignorance what does that mean this is interesting i want you guys i want you to hear this and, and this might give you bonus points as well so veil of ignorance uh the veil of ignorance is the presumption that you should like let, let, let's say hypothetically you are let's say you're in the sims and you're creating stats for your character your characters yeah. so the veil of ignorance basically says you don't know what characters you're doing you the veil of ignorance assumes that. No, 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 no. The veil of ignorance assumes that everyone is in this thing called the original position. The original position basically means that everyone is like stock. It's base. Everyone is just like you assume that everybody is at the same level. So you you allocate stats to make sure that everyone is on that equitable, equal playing field, right? For example, oh. so for example, uh, let's say that. You are a no legislator. Yeah, you are. A, well, yeah, you are a legislator. Exactly. You are a legislator in this country where, uh, uh, for example, and like, and like it's 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 free it's free shoe day, and you see that you you're presented with two people. One guy has a fresh pair of Air Jordans, and the guy is wearing chanelas. And the point I'm trying to make here is that who are, who are you more inclined to like to to balance out the fucking bargain with? And that's a shitty example, but you get where I'm coming from, right? Oh yeah, I kind of do. 
So uh, alternatively, you will you will not cover this. Only true believers will know this. The opposite to the to John Rawls' idea of justice is Robert Nozick's idea of justice. Robert Nozick. So Robert Nozick advocates this thing called a minimal state. And he said that the state, the government, their only job is to make sure that no one hurts each other. Afterwards, everything is fair play. The, the, the state has to do the absolute minimum in the sense that it just prevents people from having an unfair advantage where a guy loses things economically speaking everything has to be like a zero-sum game at the very least no one loses anything and that's as, that, that's as, that's as much that's as much as the state contributes to, to justice like it's uh, that's why it's analogies that uh, the, it's a lady with a blind cold and then parent again but two two different theories of justice. You probably will not even touch the Nozick because he's like really underground, even for philosophers. So, uh, but so. but yeah, those are the, just a little trivia so that you get bonus points. If you want to do John Rawls anytime, you can hit me up because I I I know I know everyone you're talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you want to discuss any of them and record it as an episode, just fucking hit me up. I'm so down. Yeah, all right, sure. I, I and I, I hope the Kant didn't nosebleed you too much because that was nothing. If you want to talk about Kant, Zooey Mama, <laughs> holy! I have to yeah. prepare. I have to prepare like mentally as well before I I, I dive into that. Maybe for another episode, man. Man, let me tell you, Kant Kant's impact on philosophy, because like it's not enough that I have to discuss. Kantian epistemology and his idea of transcendental idealism. I have to do so and try to derive meta ethics from that. Oh no, <laughs> that's so hard. But I can do it. I mean, I think I can do it. Yeah, so next time probably. That's the one that's going to piss off all the viewers. Talk about Kant. No one's going to understand anything, you know. <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's like gonna, when, it's when, when I sit there and go like, huh? When I when I laid out the choices, when I laid out the choices like for for you and Tevis to vote, I deliberately left out philosophers like Hume and Kant, Nietzsche, because there might be they might be too fucking deep for for podcast level. I I learned I Freud Freud is a psychologist. Do not loop in psychology with philosophy. Psychology will never be nearly as complicated as philosophy. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean I'm not saying that I like philosophy is better. It's just that um, psychology is not that hard to understand, honestly. It's more like they're they're it's not trivial. Like you can understand more because it's more on sciences. It's just it's I mean it it depends yeah. on your mode of understanding, but I I think fundamentally speaking that like uh, psychology. Because psychology, a lot of it you can relate to yourself. When you read the when you read a psychology a psychology theory, the reason why it clicks like so easily to people is because they they use their own personality as a benchmark. So when you're learning about Isaac, I I deliberately tried to get you more invested by having you take that quiz with me, and at the same time, you know, 
because like when you're when you're learning a psychological theory you subconsciously use yourself as the the benchmark to see like oh how does this apply to me how does this work for me right so like when you learn freud you ask yourself like what happened in my anal stage and then through 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 you recollecting your experience you achieve the understanding of how that anal stage went and how it works you what Shit. I'm daydreaming as we're doing the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And there, there. If you notice this, I doze off in the podcast, and then there are moments where I'm hyper focused. I mean, like it's. It, I mean, I well, I'm not expecting anything from this episode. You, 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 you texted me at like 12 a.m. my time. Right now, it's 4 a.m. my time. I, I'm I, I'm not expecting anything from this, especially since you like, came from a meeting that lasted till midnight. I don't even know what you were doing. But but yeah, I hope I shed light on Kant. I hope I did my 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 boy justice, man. Kant Kant friend. That you didn't like Kant. I don't like his ethics. I like Kant. <laughs> I get what you mean. Anyways. Um, so, do you have any more plugs? Plug. If you're a listener, and you happen to, like... Wait, no, I don't have a plug. I'm too disappointed in, like... In that, actually. Well, I, I don't know, like, who among you fuckers listen, but if you're a listener, and you showed up to, like, my gig, like, last Wednesday... From the bottom of my from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Oh, that's really sweet. <laughs> and and also, if you're a listen <clears throat> and if you're a listener and you think I'm full of shit, come at me. I'm right here. Add me. Add me on mes- Add me on Facebook Messenger. I'm up all night. Come at me. I'll humor all of your requests. You can email me as well. It might go to spam. So if you if you if you if you do the messenger, I'll get it. Don't add me online. I don't use that garbage application, even though I'm in Japan. And I don't use WhatsApp, and I don't have Instagram. So I I never plug anything. I hate social media. I fucking I fucking detest that shit. Uh, I'd like to thank all the viewers who've been watching uh, so since far. our first ever episode. I I saved episode thirty for. A big one, uh, because it's a round number. Do not be surprised if episode thirty will last like maybe three hours or four hours. I, I got it. Uh, and but I, I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, you, you and Tevis voted for it, so at least some part of you has an interest in it, right? Yeah. I mean, like I'm trying to like you know brush up on my. I'm gonna brush up on Freud also, so. Yeah, in case uh, you guys didn't pick up, it's a it's a it's the Sigmund Freud special, and and in order to do Sigmund Freud justice, I'm going to smoke a cigar, maybe two cigars, as we were going as we we're going to record that. The boy, the man, the myth, the legend. Look at look at this guy posing with his hand on his hip like a. <laughs> He's so cool. Freud is so cool. Freud never gets credit for how cool he actually is. I, you know, like, 
anyway, yeah, yeah, that's about it. I guess this is it. See you guys. One last plug. Who are you thanking? Thanking my girlfriend for <laughs> being here. You know, she, she she's been watching since uh, she's been watching. She's been listening since episode. I'm actually so fucking impressed that you last two hours. You you might be yeah. you might be our number one fan. I know most people clock out after one, and then they're like, "Ah, oh, this shit, shit's too much. Never mind." Yeah. So special thanks to her. Yes, thank you. Uh, hopefully, she could guest one day. You know, she. She, oh. she, she keeps telling me that she 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 you know she loves talking. She loves, uh, she she can ramble about a lot and oh, her insights are very very good. And I said, why don't you start it? Like, uh, I don't know. I'm not that confident. I'm just like, oh, am I am I am I am I intimidating? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> am I intimidating? Loki, she did say she did say that you're intimidating. Oh, uh, I she did say. Yeah. I I, 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 I kind of tried to like go out of my way to make myself look like a retard. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, but when you when you get into that hyper hyper uh, focused, oh, hyper uh, focus, mm. it just lose you and we lose, Man, we lose don't, our mind. Don't, you... don't be scared of me. I'm chill. I think I'm going. I, I'm going. I I I usually sedate myself with like with like heroin before the podcast that i'm joking i don't do that <laughs> i'll get killed i do well most of the time when we record i'm i'm drunk off my mind so that's how i sedate myself i'm I, i'm smoking and i'm drinking as we record so sometimes i'm eating dinner as well while we're recording you can you can hear me you can hear me munching on ch- on chips in some episodes <laughs> bad boy shit <laughs> i'm hungry eh? Anyway, yes, I'm going to right, smoke. So, I'm gonna smoke one more cigarette right now, actually. And uh, I am going to sleep. All right. Good night, yes. everybody. Good night, everybody. Hope you have a good week. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's a wrap.